Pastor Xavier Reese talks about the incredible partnership of faith. God had told Joshua that in three days they would cross the Jordan. And they all looked at that Jordan. They said, how are we going to cross this? We can't cross it. We'll die. And God will allow you and myself to have many Jordans in our life. Where we will try as we may, every which way, and until we say, I can't do this. Then he says, all right, I can get you across, but it has to be my way. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. A pay raise, a good marriage, a new home. It's no problem thanking God for the blessings, but what happens when the marital bliss turns into blisters? What happens when you find out your company is going to outsource your job? It's easy to talk about the blessings, but what happens when all we have left is faith alone? Today, as he continues his study in the book of Joshua, Pastor Xavier reminds us of the blessings that accompany those who learn to march forward in the midst of even the most difficult situations. Joshua chapter 3, verse 1 through 13, and the message is entitled, Faith Alone Can Cross the Jordan. The book of Joshua, as you know, is a beautiful picture of uh, the victorious Christian life, a life of faith. Despite the obstacles, the situations of life, the believer will find himself in, Christ is sufficient for this. One of the greatest misconceptions about being a Christian is that sometimes people think that if they become a Christian, all their problems will go away. And I think part of this is because of bad evangelism. The gospel's presented as, are you tired of life? Are you empty? Do you want to resolve all your problems or whatever it is? Come to Jesus. The Bible says we're to preach that you're lost, you're a sinner. And that you come to Jesus because you're a sinner and the wrath of God is upon you. Not because you're empty and you don't want no problems. So I think there's not clear preaching sometimes in evangelism. Listen, if anything, when you become a Christian... The warfare just begins because now we're the enemy of Satan instead of the enemy of God. The world is a foreign place that opposes everything we stand for and believe in. Consequently, we become the object of attack. God is bringing here the Israelites into a higher level of walk, the level of faith. Comparable to our walking in the spirit of the New Testament, we've mentioned that Joshua in the book of Ephesians parallel books. For 40 years, these Israelites had walked in their own flesh. Their God had been grieved. They had limited God. God wanted to do so much more for them, but because they did not mix what they heard with faith, they walked in unbelief, and they began to walk a death march that lasted 38 years. Remember that faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, Hebrews 11.1. 1. And those that come to God must believe that He is, and that He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him, Hebrews 11.6. Faith is always in relationship to the revelation of God. That's biblical faith. If I believe something God does not reveal in His Word, that's not biblical faith, that's foolishness. If God says, this is who I am, this is what I require, then that's faith if I trust that. 
I can't just make up my own rules. Now, there is a legitimate crossing of the wilderness coming out of Egypt, a type of the world, and we're saved. But it should only take us about 11 days. <laughs> That's what it should have taken them. They turn it into 40 years. There are a lot of Christians, and maybe you're here this morning, you're still in the wilderness. You haven't crossed the Jordan because you're still in unbelief in many different ways. You don't trust God for different things. You're still living your own life. There must be a crossing of the Jordan by every Christian to enter life in the Spirit, a life of faith. And there will be many Jordans in your life and mine that God will bring you to so that you can come to the end of yourself. You cannot cross Jordan on your own. You can't do it. It's flood season. <laughs> you can't do it. Let me read um, verse 1 through 13. Joshua, then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from uh, Acacia Grove, and they came to the Jordan. He and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that uh, the officers went through the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priest, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place to go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you may go, for you have not passed this way before. And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourself, for tomorrow the Lord will do wondrous among you. Then Joshua spoke to the priest, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that you may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you come into the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come here. And hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore, take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe. And it shall come to pass, as soon as the sole of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, the waters that come down from the upstream, and they shall stand as a heap. The walk of faith at crossing of the Jordan is characterized here by diligent patience, first of all, verse 1 through 5. Diligent patience. Second, by devoted leaders, verse 6 through 8. And thirdly, by dedicated obedience in verse 9 through 13. This is what the record of God's word gives to us at crossing Jordan. Very important. They will be parallel to our own lives as Christians. Diligent patience. What a place to start. Everybody wants it right now. That's the characteristic of our age in our society. 
Nobody wants to wait for anything. And the Christian community is probably no better than the world today. Notice in verse 1, Joshua led the people from Acacia Grove. This took place, as it says there, early the next morning after the two spies had returned from, uh, from Rahab's and they reported to Joshua. Uh, that night must have been one of the longest nights for Joshua as well as the people with great anticipation. Have you ever waited for a vacation or something in this four months, then it's three, then it's two, and then it's a week, then it's days, and you're, you're just waiting. They've been there for 38 years in the wilderness, 40 years from the time of the Exodus. It's here. Anticipation. Adrenaline's flowing. God had told Joshua already, as you know, in chapter 1, that he had given him the land as an inheritance and he would divide it up in chapter 1, verse 6. God had also told Joshua that in three days they would cross the Jordan. Now the departure here at Acacia Grove was very significant. It marked the end of the wilderness life of wandering aimlessly, seeing nothing but death. That's all they saw in the wilderness. Death. Everybody from 20 years all on upward died, except for Joshua and Caleb. They're the only ones that entered in. It marked the beginning of the promised life now, of being led by God to experience rest, abundance, and life. There's the contrast. And between the two is the Jordan. Notice that they broke camp in verse 1 there. And Joshua set out with all the people to encamp now. But take note that Joshua was the leader. He was patiently waiting also. And the people were certainly looking to him how he would respond. He's the one that's going to lead them. They've been used to Moses. They're looking to him. How do leaders handle the difficulties of ministry? How do the leaders respond to the difficulties of their own life? Very important. Can you imagine what was going on through the minds of the Hebrews as they encamped before the Jordan that night? And I think God did that on purpose. He says, now you guys have been looking at the Jordan from a long way, but I want you to camp right before it and camp that night. And they all looked at that Jordan all night. And I guarantee you, they said, how are we going to cross this? <laughs> we can't cross it. We'll die. And I think God did that purposely so they would be thoroughly convinced by the time the morning came that the only way to cross it was with God. And God would allow you and myself to have many Jordans in our life. Well, we will try as we may, every which way, and until we say, I can't do this. Then he says, all right, now let's do it my way. I can get you across, but it has to be my way. The camp of the Israelites, as you know, was an orderly camp, and it broke up in mannerly form. Uh, the book of Numbers chapter 2 through 4 gives the orderly manner of encampment and breaking down the camp. Uh, you can imagine the amount of people... Patience was needed. You had livestock, children, families. But they had practiced breaking camp and setting up camp for 40 years. That helped. Hmm. Notice verse 2 through 5. 
the officers commanded the people. The time was after three days. The spies must have come back before the three days. The officers went through the camp according to their chain of command. And this is always important. Delegated uh, leadership is very important for orderliness and efficiency. Some people have a difficult time in the church and they have had bad experiences in another church or whatever. And maybe they've been under a pastor who's been like a dictator or whatever it is. Or maybe they're just rebellious. They don't like to submit, whatever the case may be. And they have this warped view of submission to authority in the church the way the scriptures declare. The task was slow but necessary. Delegated leaders are very valuable. Men who are faithful, as we'll see. Notice in verse 3, the officers gave the people their marching orders. The signal would be when the people saw the Levites and the priests bearing the ark. This was the signal. The Kohathites were the ones to carry the ark. Numbers 4, 15. No one else. It was their duty. Then the people would set out to follow the ark. They would continue to follow in orderly manner, breaking camp according to their tribes. What they had done for 38 years would not be broken here. Orderly manner. But they would no longer see the cloud or the pillar of fire to lead them. The ark now would be the evidence of the presence of God. Apart from the miracles he would do when they entered the promised land. So there's some changes. There's some things that stay the same, but there's some necessary changes. The walk of sight is gone. No more cloud. No more pillar. All we have is the ark. We follow the ark, the presence of God. In verse 4, the officers gave the people special detailed instructions. Uh, the people were to have uh, a distance between them and the ark of 2,000 cubits, about 3,000 feet, um, a half a mile. They were not to come near it. Only the priest could come near the ark. Now, this is a little, little more distance than usual for, the, for people from there. But at the same time, it gives the, uh, the continual remembrance that the ark was the presence of God. God would manifest himself there on the, between the cherubs on the mercy seat. And only the priest could approach it. But they were continuing to honor the presence of God and be at a distance. But they were also to do it in order to know where they were going. Okay, so those things we understand from the past uh, instructions of the tabernacle, but here in, this, in the context, in the scripture tells us they didn't know where they were going. And so the distance would give them a good view of exactly the route. They would be far removed to be able to see, so they would know where to cross. You've got a million, two million people, okay? People will, just, will argue about the number of people. Listen, very, at the minimum, a million, okay? Probably two. The visible side of the ark would be their source of faith and encouragement. No other. And so the particular reason is given to us. It says they had never passed this way before. Has someone ever given you a map to go somewhere? And you studied it, you've never been there? And you're driving down the way. Oh, was that it? And you're just, you know, you're, you're tense all the way. But then when somebody says, hey, just follow me, you get the map. <laughs> you in Starbucks. You know, you cruise. It's a little easier to follow someone when you're going somewhere. This was not Egypt. This was not the wilderness. This was the promised land. 
There are those commentators who believe that the reference here to not going, you've never passed this way before, refers to the way God was leading out just through the ark. Certainly that's been made pointed out, but I think it's speaking about the route. It's real simple. Now look at verse 5. The leader Joshua commanded the people to sanctify themselves. And the word sanctification here in the Hebrew is much like the one in the Greek. It simply means to consecrate, to set yourself apart for a dedicated purpose. And it was to be that very day. Now, this is a personal individual responsibility for the sake of the entire community. And we will see the detriment to this disobedience as we get to the situation of Achan when he took of the accursed thing from Jericho. I am always appalled and at awe as people today in the church who believe they can live in sin and not hurt the church. I'm not talking about failing. We all fail. But people who willfully, deliberately, knowingly are sleeping around or committing adultery or taking drugs and they continue to fellowship like nothing is happening. You're hurting the church. What do you want me to do? Preacher, leave? No. Repent. But if you want to repent, then consider it. You hurt the church. You hurt the witness. You hurt the community of God's redeemed. Hmm. The reason is given to us. The very next day, Yahweh would do wonders among them. But we should be in awe of God before He does things because we know who He is. Let alone when He does the things. There can be no greater illustration of patience than Noah, who followed the meticulous detailed measurements of the ark, built it, Brought the animals, came to him. He got the food, everything else for 120 years. <laughs> patience. How many Christians have suffered much for their lack of patience to wait on God? Not waiting on God for the direction of a job, perhaps, and just making the decision and leaving. Because the money was attractive or whatever it is. And in the long run, it's cost them their family or some problems. Not including God in the purchase of a home. We have seen people buy homes and with all rationalization and then they don't walk with God. If you believe God's giving you a home, and we'll just take that for an example, the first thing you should do is find out where the church is close to there where you're going to fellowship. If you don't know where you're going to fellowship before you buy a home, then I can tell you it isn't God's will for you to buy that home. Too many people have gone for a home and that's what they get. A house. And they lose their home. You want to know where you're going to fellowship, where you're going to be involved. Then your home will flourish. Not waiting on God for a husband or a wife. How am I sure 30 years as a Christian I've seen so much of this. Young ladies get impatient. The clock's ticking. They find a husband, and they're in for the biggest hassle of their life. Young men get caught up with just the face and the body, and one day they roll over and they said, that's all they have. Nothing else. Impatient with God. Not waiting for God to promote you. It's perfect time. 
I'm not talking against hard work, diligent work, faithful work. But don't promote yourself. You can get yourself in real trouble. Ecclesiastes 7 8 says, The end of a thing is better than its beginning. The patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Waiting on God. James 5 7 says, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives its early and out of rains. God will come right on time. He's never been late. The main reason we are called to be patient and wait on God is that not one of us has ever been past this Christian life. This is my first time around. <laughs> I've never been through this before. It's kind of like when you have a baby the first time. They give you the baby, no manual, and you say, okay, go home. What do I do now? Poor kids. Each one of us needs God to give us specific instructions for life. We're different. We're all called to a certain uh, standard in a life, but individually, God will give us individual instructions. But listen to Isaiah, Isaiah 40, 31. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Take note of the context. It begins in heaven. It's efficient on earth. My strength begins from heaven that I can walk on earth. You understand? Each of us need for God to tell us when to stop, how long to wait, what to say, what to do. You see, the walk of faith is characterized by diligent patience. Patience. Notice, secondly, now, the walk of faith is characterized by devoted leaders. Verse 6 through 8. In verse 6, Joshua addresses the priest first. Joshua was the appointed leader by God, as you know. Um, he was um, chosen by God prior to the death of Moses in the book of Numbers. And then he was confirmed to be the leader by God after the death of Moses in the first chapter. And Joshua here communicates to the priests the commands of God. Not his own, the commands of God. They were to take up the ark, verse 6 says, cross over the Jordan before the people. Devoted leaders are submissive to the God-appointed leaders. I see this through scripture continuously. Devoted leaders are not yes men. Don't make a mistake. But they're faithful, loyal workers of God's work. Devoted leaders have questions. But they do not question the instruction and decisions made every time. When people are constantly... Uh, Confronting and, and opposition and always having excuses or always this and that. They're not submissive. They're self-will. Chorus, Absalom. And they think that they have all the answers. So dialogue is good for wisdom. But once God is directing and leading, there's no place for it at all. God has said, working across Jordan. Excuse me, I don't think it's very good. It's flood season. Let's go. Notice the priest took up the ark. They went before the people exactly as they were told. These men, I'm sure, felt very privileged to bear the ark for 38, 40 years. They had been devoted. He was to tell them now, listen, to step into the Jordan when they came to the edge of the water of the Jordan and stand in the Jordan. Now, I don't think they thought themselves too privileged at this point. 
I think that they were a little apprehensive. Josh, are you sure? You've been smoking some mushrooms or what? Flood season. I mean, you start thinking, you know what I mean? It's flood season, Joshua. The ark's heavy. Doesn't sound too logical, rational to me. No. But God said go. Pastor Xavier Reese talks about the kind of faith that transcends all reason. And you can request a copy of today's inspiring message called Faith Alone Can Cross the Jordan. If you'd like a copy to share with a friend or loved one, it's available on CD for just $4. And the title to ask for once again is Faith Alone Can Cross the Jordan. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make a request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please be sure and include the call letters of this station when you contact us. Well, what does it take to be a champion of faith? Learn more when you tune in to the next edition of Simple Truths featuring Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 